Welcome to Recruiting Daily's Use Case Podcast, a show dedicated to the storytelling that happens or should happen when practitioners purchase technology. Each episode is designed to inspire new ways and ideas to make your business better as we speak with the brightest minds in recruitment and HR tech. That's what we do. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you're listening to the Use Case Podcast. Today, we have Bill on from Lions HR, and we're learning about the use case, the business case from Lions HR. So without any further ado, Bill, would you do us a favor and introduce yourself and Lions HR? I'm happy to do that, and thanks for having me today, William. Sure. I'm a Bill Lyons, and I am currently serving as the executive director. I'm the founder of Lions HR. And uh, just within the last few months, have transitioned the role of CEO over to um, another uh, uh, associate here in the company named Bruce Cornut. But I'm still very active in the business, uh, working on a number of strategic uh, uh, initiatives that we have going on at the moment. But yeah, Lions HR started in uh, 1995, so we're in our 27th year. <clears throat> and uh, we started as a commercial staffing operation, and uh, the company was quite successful. We were primarily in the northern uh, part of Alabama, uh, starting in Florence, Alabama, and then expanding into uh, Huntsville and eventually into Birmingham, and then into seven other locations. Uh, but we uh, divested that business in 2018. Uh, the PEO, which is what we're primarily known for, it, uh, and PEO again stands for Professional Employer Organization, our PEO uh, started operations in 2008. And so you know, 14 years into it, you know, we're one of the largest privately held PEOs in the country and uh, uh, continuing to grow. And it's an exciting business. In fact, uh, last year I wrote a book on the industry. I was so fascinated by the fact that there was not a whole lot of uh, information out there on on the industry. Uh, And so I I wrote a book entitled We Are HR, the Business Owner's Definitive Guide to Professional Employer Organizations. I know that's a mouthful, uh, but that really is the best way to describe the book. And so I start um, with the early days of our industry, sort of uh, explaining how the industry started and then how it evolved, uh, some of the the, uh, peaks and valleys of the evolution of the business, and then uh, getting into the value proposition of the business, uh, and then, uh, and then eventually the, the future outlook. And so, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a topic that I love to talk about. Well, we have a number of things in common. My, uh, my sons go to, uh, a camp up in Mentone, uh, mm-hmm. summer camp in Mentone, uh, Alpine. And, uh, I went to Alabama, uh, for my undergraduate. So we <laughs> spent a lot of, and I spent a lot of time, we got married in Birmingham at Samford. So we okay. got plenty to talk about if we're going to talk about Alabama. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> um, I love that you've got staffing roots and, and you also, you know, at one point you also got into the PEO business. Uh, right. and so we'll, we'll leave staffing aside, uh, for, 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 for now, we'll get back to that at one point, maybe, uh, and talk more on the PEO side mm-hmm. of, of lines, HR. Um, I've done a lot of work in, in, in PEO and with PEOs over the years, and it is, I'm glad you wrote a book. I'm, I'm really glad you wrote a book because it is one of the, it's, it's, it's one of the most misdiagnosed or misunderstood uh, uh, categories of business that uh, operates uh, and helps HR. And usually it's um, small, smaller businesses. I mean, that's right. 
it, it, it does a lot of some PEOs can go, you know, can go and do go further up, further up employee size and headcount size. But um, I love the fact that you you wrote a book just to explain things to people because PEOs step in and you know help out with compliance and recruiting mm-hmm. and uh, payroll and benefits and all kinds of stuff. So it's for for a small business owner being a small business owner. POs have been a lifeblood. So, uh, so thank you for that. And, and congratulations on your 27th year. Yeah, um, tell me, tell me about, you know, the, the PO industry as, as a whole, why do you think, you know, as you, as you research the book and also as you, as you understand the history of just from first person, why do you think it's misdiagnosed, you know, mis- mis- misdiagnosed, not the right word, but misclassified or misunderstood? Well, the industry's only been around uh, uh, since the late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. So we're relatively, uh, you know, 40 years in. Uh, so, the, so the business has not matured. And so the acronym uh, PEO, I don't think is as recognizable as, you know, other acronyms. And in fact, in the industry, there was some discussion about trying to rebrand the uh, the, the business model away from mm-hmm. PEOs. And then there was strong opposition to that uh, initiative because we have so much uh, invested in the in, in that acronym of PEO. But I, I think there it's confusing because some people look at a PEO and say, well, is it a staffing company? Right. Uh, well, no, they're not a staffing company. A staffing company is a completely different business model. <laughs> and then a PEO, you look at a PEO and say, well, you know, you've got these online um, uh, HR platforms that also do payroll. And, and is it the same as that? No, it's not the same uh, as, as, you know, the pay cores and those type of companies that, that, that do uh, provide HR support, but are certainly not as comprehensive right. as what you find in a PEO. Uh, the reason I wrote the book uh, was because I felt as though there was this misunderstanding out there. And I just wanted to sort of get the word out there from somebody within the industry to differentiate between what we do as a PEO and some of these other um, types of businesses that are out there. And then to also sort of describe the value that uh, small companies that work with PEOs receive. You know, you mentioned the larger larger companies uh, tend to have their own internal um, HR infrastructure. And, you know, that's, it makes a lot of sense. You think about the, the average size of a PEO client is about 20 employees. Right. Okay. So an employer that has 20 employees is still subject to many of the rules of the department of labor, oh, yeah. still subject to title seven, still subject to all the things that can get them in trouble, but very rarely will they have the expertise or the budget to go out and hire the expertise they need to navigate those waters. And so smaller companies say between 20 and 75 tend to do much better when they outsource those uh, responsibilities to a PEO, because when they do so, not only do they pick up payroll and payroll tax expertise and filings and all the things that come with processing a payroll, you pick up benefits experts, you pick up uh, risk and workers comp experts, and you also pick up HR compliance experts. So we, you know, we refer to the the PEO business model as being comprised of a team of subject matter experts, and that really is true. And a small business really cannot cannot expect an HR person coming in to be experts in all of those areas, but they have exposure in all those areas, which is why uh, the model works so well for the smaller businesses. So you you think about a company that gets up to 200 to 300 employees. 
Now, all of a sudden you have a different calculation to make. Okay. Does it make sense for us to, uh, you know, invest in the expertise and resources for someone in house or for a, a, an HR department that consists of, you know, legal of compliance of, uh, and, and, and benefits and, and all these other things. Does it make sense at that level? And there is a break point at which it does. It, it does make sense. You know, obviously, you know, a, a company the size of Microsoft or Walmart, you know, they, they're going to have legions of HR professionals working on staff because uh, of the size of the operation. But um, exactly where the wire trips is um, depends on the industry and the type of business and what the exposures are. But typically, the smaller companies uh, really tremen- tremendously value and uh, benefit from working with a PEO. Yeah, a hundred percent. I can tell you just uh, from my own experience that um, you know, being an entrepreneur, uh, you you could find yourself in trouble really quickly uh, using uh, that payroll tax as working capital. Um, oh yes, and so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I I. You know, I've made that mistake and uh, and paid for it dearly with the IRS. Uh-huh. So. Uh, um, but I found using uh, a PEO uh, liberating for for both two reasons, uh, both the you know nine forty nine forty ones the payroll tax uh, you know things in, and also for benefits. Just mm-hmm. having you know, I was working through a benefits broker before that with my company, and again, I, under a hundred employees, I, I I couldn't agree with you more. Over a hundred employees, I think you're absolutely right. It depends on, you know, is it a construction company? And we'll, we'll, I, got, I got some questions around that as well. It depends um, on how many states they're in. I mean, you, you, yeah. you look at uh, the, a company oh, that only in one state uh, can t- tend to n- navigate the, the rules and regulations of their state. But if you're in multiple states, sometimes that can get very complicated. And that's part of the compliance feature. We've got clients that are in multiple states. And so we have to keep up with, uh, what comes out of the state house in uh, 50 different locations. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So, so I, I found as a, as a buyer, I found POs in, uh, just super helpful for all of those reasons. But to aid if, is with the 940, 941s, the payroll tax, just so I wouldn't have access to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, then, you know, you, you learn once you don't have access to it, you live within your budget and, you know, you, you, you go on as an entrepreneur, you go on as needed, but, uh, but also I got better benefits than, I, than I could, uh, through uh, a benefits broker. I could get better, better, better benefits because, uh, uh, you know, PO has just a larger pool of which to then go out and negotiate and, and just get better, get better deals. Um, I think one of the biggest values uh, is just the fact that there's there's peace of mind knowing that all of your employer responsibilities are being managed by oh, as a, 100%. Before, a team of experts because you know one HR department uh, you know made up of one or two people cannot be experts in, in payroll tax necessarily they're not going to be experts in all the facets of benefits and HSAs and and um, and, and just what we've just gone through with the pandemic and the uh, mm-hmm. PPP loan process is one of the things which I think we have, as an industry, distinguished ourselves among our clients and the uh, the roots with our clients have grown deeper as a result of having gone through that experience together. But um, when, when you try to dissect the PEO value proposition, it's uh, it, the sum of its parts are worth a lot more than its uh, individual parts because 
uh, it's it's the comprehensive nature of it that makes it such a great value. And hundred percent. When, when you think about in the book, I talk about the four pillars of profitability, and and these are the four general areas where businesses can get in trouble. Uh, and these are the four areas that PEOs step in to the shoes of the employer and take those responsibilities away. As we've been talking about payroll and payroll tax filing and payroll tax mm-hmm. administration, getting W-2s out at the end of the year, making sure that those things are filed properly. And the employer or the, the client doesn't have to concern themselves with that at all. So that's one pillar. Uh, and the second one that we refer to is benefits and benefits administration. You know, if you're a 20 man group and you're going out uh, and, and trying to get a 401k plan or you're trying to get a group health plan, chances are you're not going to get the most competitive mm-hmm. um, program because of the size of your group. But if you're part of a PEO that has 10,000 lives in a group, uh, then those savings are passed on to you. And so not only do you have access to a broader range of benefits, but those benefits are being managed by a group of benefits experts and the open enrollment period is done uh, electronically. And so that again, takes a huge burden off of a business owner. The third area that we talk about is uh, safety and workers comp. And obviously, you know, this is more important if you're in a, an industrial setting with, with, with moving machinery and industrial exposures in a professional setting, it's less of an issue, but you know, many of our clients are, uh, industrial clients that do have safety concerns. And so having uh, safety professionals go into a location and evaluate uh, and, and and actually put plans in place that improve the uh, safety uh, environment there that's going to result in lower workers' comp cost uh, can be a huge, huge benefit. And then finally, you know, the thing that sort of wraps all of it together is HR compliance. <clears throat> and you think about all of the laws that have been passed over the years since 1964, the Civil Rights Act and, and the EEOC established, and then all of the, the, the laws that have been passed in recent years, uh, up to and including you know the CARES Act, all of these things fall into the lap of a business owner. And if they don't have a, a team of experts helping them uh, interpret that information and properly execute on that information, uh, they can expose themselves to some real liability. And so I think when you have all four of those pillars working together, and again, a PEO provides all of those things. When you have all of those things together, uh, I think a small business has a tremendous advantage over uh, their counterparts who are not using a PEO. And in fact, the statistics bear that out. Uh, Companies that work with a PEO, grow faster, have 50% less t- turnover, and are 50% less likely to go out of business. You know, it's funny about you mentioned safety. Uh, one of my businesses was an ad agency. And when they did the uh, initial safety audit, um, they found, uh, <clears throat> there's like 25 things that they found mm-hmm. that were things that we had, I mean, just didn't even think about. And what weren't going to think about so the, the folks that are listening for the audience members that, that work in a professional environment, uh, safety isn't just forklift driving <laughs> and, and trucking. I mean, in a professional uh, environment like an ad agency, we they literally 25 things that we had to go back and fix. And they were, they were easy fixes. Mm-hmm. It's just we didn't have the... Uh, you know, the mindset of looking at our own work environment and looking at it from a safety perspective. So for for years, one of our largest workers comp claims occurred at an insurance office uh, 
uh, where we had a lady uh, who slipped and fell on some ice. Uh, it was during an ice storm and she slipped and fell and dislocated her arm and uh, had a pretty severe injury, but it was, uh, I don't know what kind of safety engineering can prevent the weather from, from happening and making the, the steps slippery, but uh, that was one of the larger claims we had for a long time. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Now there is, uh, or at least there was, uh, I, I've been and, and spoken at Napio a few times. Um, there's uh, different types of workers or classification of workers, obviously mm -hmm. what the industry used to call white, gray, and blue. I'm not sure if that's still kind of the, the, the way that we think about it. What, what is, what, how do you look at it? You know, through mm -hmm. Lions HR, how do y'all look at the classification of employees? Well, the, the uh, every client that we uh, bring into our workers' comp program, you know, we have to provide their sick code and their NCCI code to our carrier. Mm -hmm. And so, once we <clears throat> most of the underwriting uh, will consist of you know looking at their website, uh, reading their uh, description of their operations, and then our carrier will assign to them the appropriate NCCI classification and. Uh, the, you know, one of the more common one is 8810, which uh, is an administrative clerical code for essentially an office worker. But then you've got uh, 4410. You, you, there are hundreds of different classifications that um, are created to describe a particular business activity. And then each of those classifications comes with their own separate rating system. And so the uh, the uh, the and, NCCI, and rating sorry Bill to interrupt yes. the rating system is associated to uh, kind of an actuary table and risk that's right that that's right so that classification you know throughout the state you know the, and workers comp is regulated at the state level so mm. so you'll have uh, those classification injuries are reported uh, to the uh, National Council of Compensation Insurance NCCI and to the state and so the state will promulgate a rate based upon the uh, experience of claims that they have in those various classifications and through a, over a period of time those rates will move up or down depending upon whether you know they've had an increase or decrease in rates it, look, it's, it works like any other insurance actuary system would work and so each state will have their own rates uh, that will be applicable in that state and it's based upon the claims experience and then each operator so so if you have let's say for example an HVAC contractor well, one HVAC contractor may get better rates than his competitor because he has a better safety record or he has better claims experience than one of the others. And so it's important uh, that you, you know, focus on and pay attention to your safety um, protocols in every one of these industries because, you know, all industries are not treated the same and, and all competitors within the industries are not treated the same because if you're a, a loose and careless uh, operator, then you're going to pay higher rates than if you're, a, you know, a clean and, and, and a safety conscious operator. Well said. Thank you so much. Um, one of the things that, that as you, as you, as you, as you talked, I, I would like to kind of get back to is the size of company where it makes sense. I remember when, uh, I think it was Trinet, when they first came to market 150 years ago, um, they really, they really focused on white collar, and uh, six-figure jobs, paperless, and uh, and and so they they focus on a very very tight, very 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 tight market, very very specific market. Mm -hmm. uh, Martin Babnick really kind of focused, zeroed in on just a, a really 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 specific type of audience. And I, I believe, and I think he would say today that that was all just 
you know, kind of zeroing in on on certain types of uh, of, of jobs and and uh, companies and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, you had mentioned earlier in the show where at certain different breakpoints for certain different companies is that is that related back to safety and workers comp? I think one of the reasons that Trinet has diversified as well as you know a, a lot of the larger ones is because much of their growth has been the result of acquisitions. There's been right. this amount of consolidation that's taken place in our industry, and and so you may have started out as a boutique PEO where you're you're only wanting to focus on white collar. Uh, professional class codes uh, because you want to stay away from the workers' comp. <laughs> but then all of a sudden you, you you decided that you, you know, hey, it makes sense for us to make this acquisition and, and they have industrial exposures or they may have construction exposures and then your entire business model may change. But no, I, th- I think the reason that the larger the organization gets, the more they need to review whether or not the PEO business model is the, is the best fit for them is because you know larger companies with larger revenue streams and and larger complexities, uh, you know at some point in time the cost associated with outsourcing that um, is probably not going to be advantageous. So you know again if you're if you're a 25 man company, you're not going to be able to have the budget or be able to afford all the subject matter experts that you need in order to keep you in compliance. And so outsourcing it to a PEO makes a lot of sense because for a small fee, you can have access to those subject matter experts. However, if you have 500 employees at your location and you're paying a fee on all 500 of those employees, at some point in time, the cost associated with that uh, may be uh, more advantageous for you to bring that in-house and hire your own staff. Uh, but again, there's that depends on the industry and the type of, of work and what the exposures are. There are a lot of variables, really, William, right. go into determining that. But again, generally speaking, if you're between 25 and 75 employees, a PEO is a beautiful fit for you. Oh, 100%. If you're, if you're, if you're 150 or more is when really the decision uh, needs to be looked at differently. Well, and I and most of the, the great PEOs, like yourself, they help clients transition internally. You know, once you get to that point, it's like they, they totally understand. And and, uh, and I've seen it with my own eyes that people, you know, uh, in the PEO industry are responsible like that. Mm-hmm. that um, you know, two questions uh, left. One is uh, across state lines because you, <laughs> you've got to keep up with local and state mm-hmm. and federal uh, compliance-related uh, HR and employment laws. Uh, what mm-hmm. are some of the things that just you've seen that just you know here's here's the difference between South Carolina and Florida, you know just things that, that you would never even think about as as an as an employer an entrepreneur growing a business you just never even think about to keep up with. Well, one of the things that, that comes to mind is the uh, some some municipalities will impose an occupational tax on the employees that work in that particular area, and so it's it's a withholding, just uh-huh. like. Uh, of you know FICA or any yeah, other yeah. uh, any other thing, and so if you come from a uh, from a, a municipality or state that doesn't have that, you're not familiar with it. You may have somebody employed there and not even realize that you're supposed to be remitting that, and then uh, come to find out, you get fined because you 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 know ignorance is not <laughs> an excuse to not. Oh no, no. And the so feds, the feds don't play that game. No. And so in, in our business, we have a compl- a licensing and compliance department. 
And so we monitor everything that's going on. So every time we have a client that has employees in a, in a new area where we perhaps have not been before, uh, we have uh, databases that we can access to find out what our responsibilities are for that particular municipality. So you've got, again, if you, you look at the inverse of a funnel, you've got the federal government, then you've got the state, then you've got the city and the municipality. All of that has to be taken into consideration. And they're not the same from state to state. You know, some states uh, have different licensing requirements upon us. Right now, there are 40 states out of the 50 that have PEO licensing requirements, and there are 10 that do not. And so we are, you know, pushing uh, as an organization, as NAPIO, uh, to get uh, all 50 states with similar licensing requirements so it sort of standardize the industry. Oh, that would be helpful. The, uh, the last question I have for you, Bill, is, you know, the best way to work with a PEO. So someone, uh, when they're listening to this and they've never, they've never uh, walked down this path, what's, just, what's, the, what's the best way to start? Well, some people like to work with a smaller boutique type firm that does not have a, you know, just a, a huge footprint all over the country because they they like the, you know, the personal touch. You know, we started out that way, but then our, our business evolved and grew to where we're now in 46 states. Um, but I think the the uh, things that are important to me are IRS certification mm-hmm. and ESAC accreditation and uh, not all uh, PEOs in existence uh, are, are both. Uh, Lions HR, our company, uh, has always been ESAC accredited. And as soon as the uh, CPEO program was finalized by the IRS in 2017, we were one of the first PEOs. I think we we're the eighth PEO in the country to receive that certification. But what that does is it uh, requires that the, the PEO comply with certain financial standards uh, that we have to provide, uh, we pay an annual fee to maintain the certification. We have to provide an audit. We have to provide a bond. And it essentially gives assurances uh, to the client that all federal taxes are, oh, being properly, are being properly remitted to the federal government. Now, ESAC, which stands for the Employer Services Assurance Corporation, are headquartered out of Little Rock, Arkansas, is a smaller, uh, less known accreditation, but a much more comprehensive cre- accreditation than the CPEO, Certified PEO. Uh, and the uh, accreditation through ESAC provides assurances to clients on all employer responsibilities, not just federal uh, tax reporting responsibilities, but state and local, as well as benefits administration. So uh, early, you know, some of the earlier sins committed by some of our forefathers were, you know, re- withholding uh, mm-hmm. payroll taxes and not remitting them correctly, and also withholding benefits uh, deductions and withholding 401k and pension deductions and not remitting them to the proper authorities. Right. As you said earlier, uh, you know, the risk of, of operating on payroll tax withholdings and those kind of things is a, can be a real strong temptation to a struggling oh, yeah. business owner. Um, but if you are accredited by ESAC, you have to submit to quarterly verifications of your uh, uh, internal processes that ensure that all of those withholdings are being remitted to the proper authorities. And so that's a quarterly uh, review, whereas the uh, ESAC, uh, the uh, certification with uh, CPO is annual. Well, for the practitioners that are listening, that is a wonderful way to ask questions, the probative questions of a, of a PO that you're looking at, because those are super, super important. Bill, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for coming on the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Thank you, William. It's been great to be with you. Absolutely. And thanks for everyone listening to the Use Case Podcast. Until next time. <laughs>